This is the Light and Life Podcast, and I'm your host, Brett Heinzman. I want to thank you for joining me today for a conversation with Reverend Dr. Jill Richardson, pastor of Real Hope Community Church in the greater Chicagoland area, around the topic of how men can advocate for women in leadership in the Free Methodist Church. She is part of the leadership team for Advocates for Women in Leadership, one of the founders and participates in the leadership team of that organization. And she has authored or contributed to eight books. Uh, Jill, it's so good to have you with us today. Thank you for joining me for this episode of the podcast. Thank you, Brad. It's going to be fun. Great. Well, hey, this topic is close to your heart, is it not? This idea of how men can advocate for women in leadership. Very much so. After being in the FMC for a very long time now, yeah, well, good. I, I know that you have some points prepared, and I'm really looking forward to you helping, especially for me, uh, a man who wants to advocate for women in leadership in the church. The Free Methodist Church is one of a handful of denominations that ordain women, and we see it as a blessing and a necessity for the gospel. We're excited to ordain women, and we're thankful for their leadership in the church, but we also know it, lest our heads are buried in the sand, that there may be some men out there and and women, if we're honest, who yes. don't understand uh, how we can arrive at that based on some difficult passages of scripture and things that we need to come to an understanding of. So I'm looking forward to you helping us navigate this space. So I will turn it over to you and kind of let you help us enter this on-ramp to how men can advocate for women in leadership. That is a long and complicated question. There are books and dissertations written on it, so um, I'll barely get a start. But I, I can give you five, I would say, quick ways, but they're not quick. Um, okay. Men can be allies for women in church, and they're not difficult. I can say that. Well, I'm excited to hear them. So what's point number one? Um, point number one is pretty much a no-brainer it's get women in your pulpits <laughs> um it's the number one way churches can become more receptive to women as leaders they experience women as leaders you know a congregation can't accept and can't know what they've never imagined and never seen you know we have women young women in the fmc who feel called by god who don't know they can be pastors because they've never seen it and why not? Well, because nobody's been proactive about that. Um, and if you see it regularly, that's when change happens. So if you are a male board member, ch church leader, anyone in your church, you don't have to be, you know, here's, the, here's an important thing to understand. If you are advocating for another human being, you're a leader. I don't care if you're on the board. I don't care if you're the pastor. If you're advocating, you're a leader. Um, ask your pastor about doing this talk about how important it is to the women and girls of your church you know get people to see women and if you are the pastor don't just do this when you're on vacation don't just do this on mother's day you know <laughs> make it a point that your church sees you sitting in the front row submitting to the teacher or teaching of a woman respecting her leadership because they're not going to make the connection that you're an ally, that women are important leaders if she's just a substitute for you and you can't get the best. So um, mm. that's number one. That's well said. I have to say, 
in our context, and I go to Flushing, uh, it's our Flushing Free Methodist Church in Flushing, Michigan, called Cornerstone Community Church. We have been blessed regularly to have women in our pulpit, and our pastors sit on the front row. And uh, it really does make a difference in our context. We have um, his wife, Christine Kofke, has preached, and Ebony Dunnigan, one of our, our family's minister, family ministries pastor, has preached, and my wife, Barb, has preached, and all with the pastor being in the audience. And it has made a tremendous difference to the young mm -hmm. women in our congregation. So excellent point. Um yeah, thank you for that. That's a great point. Yeah, and it's not hard. I mean, if you say, oh my gosh, there's no, there are no women teachers in my church. First of all, that's not true. <laughs> there are. They just might need you to come alongside them and give them resources and encouragement. But also, you know, we have these things called Zoom. You can, <laughs> it's so easy to get a woman now. If, if there's not one right there, you can get one on video. <laughs> can, we just, can we just say that it's, that it is standard practice in most all churches, even those with complementarian views of gender who regularly have women teach in their churches. They relegate them mostly to children. But the truth of the matter is, is women are leading in all of our churches anyway. <laughs> and so to elevate them to that spot of the pulpit, to give voice to their perspective on the scriptures is an important first step. Yes, they have a we, we have a different viewpoint on some of these things and it, it needs to be heard. It's to, to get the fullness of scripture. Great. Well, let's move on to your second point. Number one, you're right. It was very easy. Um, but can I just say it would it might be a a difficult first step for some pastors. And so, guys, let me just as a man tell you, not only is it possible, it's beneficial. Um, for you to have a woman in the pulpit and have you as a pastor sitting on the front row, paying attention, agreeing, giving your amen. Um, it's, it's possible. You can do this. Yeah. I, I, there are men typically, but they, you know, women can do it too, who are very possessive of their pulpit. And may I just remind you, it's not your pulpit. And that's a problem if you're possessive about it. it. It's God's pulpit. It's God's church. Well, let's move Although on to point number two. <laughs> number two actually dovetails really well with what you said about scripture because, again, really easy. Teach often about women in the Bible. You know, if you're a leader in a Bible study, a Sunday school, the pastor, you can do this. You can suggest, if you're not one of those, you can suggest it to your study leaders, you know. When was the last sermon, if you're a pastor, when was the last sermon series you did on strong, heroic women of the Bible? Mm. I doubt it, <laughs> you know, but hey, you can get a long series out of Hagar, Rahab, Miriam, Shipra and Pua, Deborah, Abigail, you know, let's get, just, just keep going. The women who followed Jesus and supported him. Um, for every reference you make to Peter, Paul, James, have you referenced Lydia, Priscilla, Phoebe? Do people hear that? Because they are the early leaders of the church too. And if we just teach our people that the early leaders of the church were the men, Paul, Peter, we have not given them the full picture of what mm. went on. Um, but it takes thinking about it. It takes being proactive about it. It doesn't just happen. 
And we tend to teach about the heroic bravery of the men in scripture and the gentle submissiveness of women in scripture. And if you look at the women in scripture, come on. <laughs> the ones God holds up are not the gentle submissive ones all the time. I mean, look at Abigail, look at the midwives in Egypt. You know, they're, they're not. And, and if you think the women and the girls don't notice, they do, and they internalize it, and so do the men. And so they internalize this, well, men are this way and women are this way. And that's the way it is. That's the way God made it. Um, it's not. And we need to let our congregations know that in all ways, in all of our teaching. Can we uh, just jump on to that little topic for a moment about how you said that if we paint this picture that uh, women in the Bible were not strong in their leadership, not brave in their uh, following of what God had them to do, that we're doing a disservice. But I think that that dovetails into some stereotypes that need to be undone for women about what happens when women are strong in their leadership and things that men say. Um, I just think we need to be honest about that. It, help us with that. I mean, I'm positive you've experienced this. I know other women leaders in the church have experienced this, that when they are strong, things are said about them, particularly by men, um, sometimes by women as well. What are those kind of things and how can we help to avoid those stereotypes? Oh, that is an excellent question. You have jumped all the way to my fifth thing. Yeah. <laughs> That's fine. Um, because yes, um, women, and, and there are so many studies and so many statistics to back it up, women who achieve, who are seen as competent, who are seen as strong and capable, are less liked. And yes, things are said about them. And yes, I've had things said about me. You're too proud. You're not waiting for God's timing. You're not, you know, you've got all of this statistical thing on one side from the studies at Harvard and whatever that say women already are seen, have to choose between being seen as strong and competent or being seen as likable. Mm. They have to make that choice. And then mm. on top of that, you, you load on the Christian guilt. <laughs> of, well, if you're competent and strong and you express that and you expect to be treated that way, uh, you're prideful. And wow. you're not waiting on God to give you the position that he has for you. You're pushing yourself forward. You're aggressive. You're, you know, whatever. So guys, let's just be honest. Um, if strength in male leadership can be admired, cannot strength in women leader, women's leadership be admired as well? I think mm -hmm. the answer's got to be a clear yes. Um, I mean, yes, we know leaders leaders of either gender can overstep the mark, and men have done that a lot. Um, but we're not talking about that. We're talking about having to choose between being liked or, or you know, I mean, really, this is a difficult topic, and it's a position that I, as a man, have not had to be in. Um, if I lead, it's admired. If you lead, you're prideful. Um, wow, that's a shame. We can undo that. We need to work at undoing that. And and the opposite, you know, if you choose, if you decide, okay, I'm not going to choose strong and competent. I'm going to choose likability. 
And I can say that's that's very much what I did as a young pastor and leader. Um, first of all, I'm a Midwesterner, so you know we like to be liked. So <laughs> that's just, that's just who we are. Um, but if you'd make that choice, then you are seen as too soft, too flexible, too easygoing. You're not a leader. We, we don't have. You know, we can't win whichever choice we make. <laughs> right, right. So how has this played out in your own leadership in your church, if you don't mind me asking? I know you're a pastor of a church, the lead pastor of Real Hope Community Church. Um, what choices have you made and how have you been able to, to lead in that space? Um, I've been so fortunate. Our church is just, they have always been so supportive. They are always right behind me. Um, they were instrumental in my being the senior pastor because that is the bind I was in. Mm. Uh, I had been very cooperative, very much, okay, here's, here's a piece of, uh, another piece of information. Here's a freebie. <laughs> Women tend to think if I do my job well, if I cooperate with everything, if I just, you know, all of these things, then my competence will be seen and rewarded. I will, they will notice that I am good at this. That's called the tiara syndrome. We can look that up. <laughs> that's important. Um, and that's what I did. If I just wait, if I just keep cooperating, if I just keep doing what I should be doing with the conference, I will be noticed and seen. I was never noticed and seen. You can wait and wait and wait. And so I wasn't a leader because I cooperated too much. Well, wh what? <laughs> How is that? That doesn't make any sense at all. But my congregation fought for it. They fought for me. And so they're just awesome. I, I couldn't ask for better people. And I, you know, early on in my time with the Free Methodist Church, I had such good male mentors. The first the first two men I worked under were such incredible mentors for me. And so I got a really early foundation of encouragement. Most women don't get that. Well, that's really good to know. That's a great point too, guys out there is that are you mentoring women in leadership to the extent that you would mentor a fellow male? Um, are you investing in them? Are you helping elevate them? Elevating another person is one of the greatest things we can do in the kingdom of God. It's discipleship at its richest point, and it's needed so that people can live into the fullness of their calling. Um, so, yeah, I mean, it it's a blessed thing for you that you had solid male mentors in your life. That's That would be a whole other topic we could talk about, though, is that we've been, I, I can say as a male leader, I have been warned uh, by well-meaning people who mentored me about being careful when I'm seen with a woman who is not my spouse um, because of accusations that can be made and all of the risks that, that that embraces. So we could even talk about how we get past that stereotype so that we can mentor women and invest in their lives, meet with them, invest in them um, mm -hmm. without having to fall prey to all of the stereotypical things that supposedly men fall prey to. Please, please, talk. let's talk about that. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> yeah, I think, guys, we just have to do it. We have to do it to take care 
but at the same time to be above board and mentor people. Um, I think that that we absolutely need to embrace uh, what what women have to offer, and we need to take the risk to do it. Do it wisely, but we need to take the risk. It can be done. I think that's the thing to say in the end. It is possible. It doesn't have to be avoided. I mean, look around at, at the world around us. The church is the only place where men think that women are to be avoided. It's the only place they don't work in partnership, in coordination, in a mentor relationship. Every other workplace, every, you know, it's normal. And people look at the church and go, that is just weird that you will not, you know, have lunch with a woman and discuss business. Mm -hmm. um, everybody else does it and they are not all falling into sin while they do it. Um, Amen. It's not, you know, if, first of all, there's, it's, it's a mistranslation of scripture when you say, you know, avoid the appearance of evil. It's, it's really avoid the forms of evil. So like, that's not even there. <laughs> but who says it's an appearance of evil to be seen with a woman that's not your wife? Right. Who, who sees that as evil? Not a normal human being who thinks of men and women as equal partners. And if you're seeing that as evil, well, you've got a problem and you need discipleship. Amen. Um, thank you for that. So I'm sorry I jumped to your fifth point, which we kind of jumped into, but um, <laughs> we'll get to it. Yeah, we'll, we'll get to it. I'm sure there's more that can be said. So what's next? What's point number three and how can we continue to uh, advocate for women in leadership? Uh, point number three is just making it very clear what the Free Methodist Doctrine is we just we cannot assume that the people in our churches know that the free methodist, methodist doctrine is equality between men and women equal partnership to steward this world um, we can't even assume our our pastors know that <laughs> we know this um, you know women know this um, and in the name of unity in the name of not being divisive we tend to sacrifice the girls and the women in our congregations when we will not talk about it, when we refuse to talk about those controversial things in scripture, the first Timothy twos and the first Corinthians 14s, and we don't, you know, say that, you know, women in the fullness of their gifting are welcome here. Um, the gospel is divisive in a good way, in a way that says to the evil powers that, you know, want authoritarianism and want hierarchy that you don't have a place here you don't have a place in the kingdom of Christ. That's a good way of dividing, you know? Amen. So, you know, we need to say that. Effective male allies are going to unequivocally, unapologetically teach what the Free Methodist Church believes. Um, and they're going to do it often enough that everybody knows. They're going to let the public know, you know, if someone looked at your church website, your church Facebook page, Instagram, whatever, will they know? Will they know you ordain women, you treat women equally, you encourage and empower women? Is that out there in your public face? It should be. We should be saying it, you know, as they say, we should be saying it with our whole chest that the free Methodist way is commitment to justice where our women and other marginalized populations are concerned. It's It's got to be out there. Allies do that. Male allies will make sure it's happening and they're not going to lose a ton of sleep on upsetting folks who don't 
like equality. That's hard. Maybe that's the point that's hard because people are going to get upset and people are going to leave. But we can have healthy conversations with those people and we can help them understand why we say what we say. That's a great point. I, I think that for men to stand up and articulate our doctrine is extremely important. And the one thing I will say, Jill, is that we've seen in recent years our superintendents when they are either, because um, sometimes we bring in pastors from other faith traditions who are then going to pastor in the Free Methodist Church. I have seen our superintendents uh, standing up for our doctrine and making sure to articulate, you know, just so you know, we are clear on our egalitarian uh, doctrine and view of men and women working together, equals in the church, equal opportunities for leadership in the church, home, and in the world. Um, how, how can you support that and, and holding people to that standard? So I think we're doing better. I think that we have a ways to go, um, but I, I have witnessed it, and I think that we are beginning to stand up. So, But that's an excellent point. Because again, we could have our heads buried in the sand and pretend that there are not people out there who are against this position, even in our own camp. Um, but we, we can continue to, to push for that. So guys, I hope you heard that. Um, teach our doctrine. Teach it clearly. Teach it unapologetically and unequivocally. And, and say it with gusto and with conviction um, that we indeed honor women in leadership in the church and welcome it yeah and if we because if we don't do that if we say hey you know i don't want to be divisive i know there are people this is going to upset what happens when the superintendent appoints a woman to that church when you leave if you're the pastor right she's stuck with that problem you know you've kicked the can down the road because you didn't want to deal with it but now she's stuck with that problem and people leave and she is just suddenly been given a church with, you know, 20 fewer people because they took off. Right. Yeah. That's not fair. And that's, that's obviously not being an ally. Right. Yeah. Being, being able to pave the way for that opportunity. I pastored in Jamestown, New York. And when I transitioned out of that to working with the national prayer ministry before I took this position in communications, um, a woman came after me, is still pastoring that church, Dodie McIntyre, and a great leader. And for me to be able to say to my congregation, this church is about to receive another excellent leader. You, you will be blessed by Pastor Dodie's leadership. Um, there were a couple of people locally who came to the church who did not share our egalitarian belief. They knew that, the, but they knew that the Free Methodist Church ordained women and supported women. They chose to leave because at that moment it became real. Um, mm -hmm. But there were only a couple of people who chose to do that. But guys, I think it's wise for us to get it. There are people who, if you're a pastor, there are people who've left your church and it's kept you awake at night. <laughs> I just think that's true. Yes. I think if you're a pastor of either gender, people have left your church for whatever reason, something you said, something you didn't say, a position you took, a position you didn't take, whatever it may be. But very few looked at you when you came into leadership, if you're a man and said, oh, you're male, I can't sit under your leadership and left the church because of that. And yet our women are being told that regularly. I think it's just wise for us to get that, internalize that, 
and let that inform the way that we stand up for women in leadership. Amen. And do not assume that if you have a leader, because it's happened to me, I have been the associate pastor in churches for years. Do not assume the people in your church are who are okay with a woman as an associate are okay with the woman as a senior. It's that which is pretty much what you said a couple of minutes ago, you know, when it becomes real and they have to submit to her teaching, suddenly it's a whole different, whole different ballgame you've got going on. So yeah. you know, but I will say this when Pastor Doty came in after me, she brought a set of gifts that I didn't have. And that was another amazing thing for me to say, look, look at the gift set you're going to get in this leader. And they are actually gifts that I don't have. And they will benefit the church greatly. And they have benefited the church greatly. And she's done an incredible job and continues to be there and is also serving as a field superintendent in the Genesis Conference. So the Lord is using her leadership in in lots of various ways throughout that region. Sounds like someone I'd like to meet. (laughs) Yeah, you would really love Dodie. She's a great person. Dodie, if you're listening, just know we have the Mutual Admiration Society going on here. You're, You're a fine leader. Here we go. Yes. Great. Well, what else do you have for us? I know there's point four coming up here somewhere. I yes, but interrupting you, you, though. you're doing a fantastic job of leading right into <laughs> <laughs> because four was, you know, to examine people who are in leadership. We can't elevate people to leadership in the church without being willing to confront the, these things. Um, but we do. We do it all the time and we find out, oh, we've got someone sitting on our board who doesn't affirm women in leadership. Why? Well, because all it takes to be on the board of a church typically is to be well-liked and well-respected. And typically, and again, this is definitely backed up by a lot of research, we promote people like us. So who do men promote? Well, people like them, (laughs) people who look like them, people who think like them. Um, So men promote men who are good guys. And a lot of good guys sit on our boards but we don't ask them the hard questions because they're good guys, which, hey, they probably, I have no doubt that they are (laughs) good guys, Um, but they could still hold some beliefs that are detrimental to women in the FMC. So, you know, exactly the questions you were just talking about asking pastors, we should be willing to ask anyone in leadership in our churches, you know, how would you feel if a woman was a pastoral candidate here? What would you do? What would you ask her? Um, Do you support the doctrine of this church? How does your household reflect the doctrine of this church? If you're married, how does that reflect our belief in equality? You know, we have to be willing to to, to not waffle on this and not assume that people sitting in your pews are in agreement. And that does include women, as you said before. Um, Women are not always our own allies. So we don't just ask the men those hard questions. We ask the women those hard questions too. Because um, these are the people that are going to make the decisions about your church. So if you're a pastor, if you're a layperson, again, anyone who advocates for anyone else is a leader, make sure those questions are being asked. We just have to do that. Good guys are good guys. They really are. But some of them need to be taught or you know, what we think, what we believe. If we're honest, Jill, there's a big difference between um, a board that has good guys on it and an old boys club. 
Um, there's a big difference there. And we want to avoid the old boys club in the Free Methodist Church because it's not going to help anybody. In fact, it will hold us back. We have to get yes. to the place where we look at the gifts and abilities. We talk in the Free Methodist Church when we're going to ordain someone, are the gifts and the graces evident in their life? We talk about head, heart, and hands. Do we have the head knowledge that's needed? Do we have the spiritual transformation in our heart? And do we have ministry fruitfulness on our hands? And if we have the gifts and graces and we have those three indicators, it doesn't matter whether you're male or female because in Christ there is neither male nor female. It matters if those things are evident, but an old boys club will hold things back where there's agreements between people in leadership, whether they're spoken or unspoken, that how things will be and how things will not be. And we have to do away with any, any shred of the old boys club in the free Methodist church. There's really no place for it. Amen. And, and can I say this might step on some toes, but can I say that is something, you know, our pastors, our delegates in annual conferences really need to think about who are we electing when to go to our general conference? Are they always the same people? And are they always members of the old men's club? <laughs> because that tends to be true. Mm. So are we electing voices to vote for us to think through these really important decisions who are diverse or the same people all the time? Right. It's easy. I mean, it's really easy to nominate the same people all the time because they're always willing. So we have to look around and, and work a little harder at that. These are really good points, Jill. I'm so glad that you've taken time to bring them up with us today. I know you've got a fifth point that we kind of trampled onto a little bit earlier, but what is it? And let's revisit that and um, as we continue to have this conversation. Well, a fifth one is really, really the most important and really the first step. Um, do your homework. <laughs> learn. The most important thing to be an ally is to learn. And I brought homework assignments because in a previous life, I was an English teacher. <laughs> so, I know how to assign homework to people. <laughs> um, and one of those pieces of homework is just, you know, to be aware of some of the research that's out there that we've already talked about um, that, you know, the research about differences between how women and men are hired. Do you know that women apply for jobs they are overqualified for and men apply for jobs they are 60% qualified for? Statistical fact. <laughs> so women are not applying for your lead jobs and it's not because they're not qualified. And men are applying for your lead jobs and they may not be qualified. <laughs> so there's, there's a difference and we need to be aware of that. Um, need to be aware of the fact that research shows men are rewarded and promoted based on their potential. Women are rewarded and promoted based on the track record. Is that fair? Um, so those jobs are going disproportionately to men, the leadership jobs. Using a criteria of evaluation, that's just not fair. Uh, we need to know that research is out there because we need to know how it affects our heads. <laughs> that if we're on one of those committees that we are probably using that kind of a criteria and we don't even know it. Women, uh, women are more likely to be given a leadership position in an institution that's already failing and needs to be turned around. Um, 
and then you know it's called the glass cliff <laughs> and then they're blamed for the failure of that institution well you put them in that spot disproportionately to men and you know others other other research that you've again already talked about rules like what we refer to as the billy graham rule um do not at all affect the rate of sexual sin among leadership among pastors there's no effect it doesn't change anything if you're going to fall into adultery you're going to do it, it it's on you <laughs> it's not because you sat in a in a closed door room with a woman and mentored her you know there there's no evidence um, of that we need to know that um, so so do homework to learn about things like that so you know what your biases are that you don't even know you have um, that's the first homework assignment <laughs> do some research into the differences in the way we look at men and women in leadership the criteria we use i would say jill that another important aspect is to for men who want to advocate for women in leadership is sit down with your women leaders and hear their experiences yes. um, to have a relationship with someone is one of the quickest paths to destroying biases. It's not so much a what you think you know as a who you know. And when you know a person and their real life experiences that have either held them back, like you were talking about the glass cliff. I never heard that phrase before, so I learned something today. Um, this idea of placing a woman in something that's failing. The truth is that men are also placed in those situations, but in the church, I've heard of men who are strategically placed for the purpose of leading a church toward closure and can actually be seen as doing a good job of navigating a church toward closure, which is an entirely different position than placing a woman in a situation that's likely going to fail and later saying, well, see, your track record isn't good because the institution failed under your leadership. Instead of saying you led this to closure, um, I just think we need to recognize the differences and recognize our biases and to say, it's it, just like I'm learning from you today, who are you sitting with and learning from? The yes. who changes everything. It's not just head knowledge. It's relational, relational clout as you get to know a person is completely different than what you think you know. Yes, absolutely. Absolutely. Second homework assignment. Are we ready for our second homework assignment? Are you writing this down, people? <laughs> <laughs> First one is... is Learn, learn. I know. Learn about, learn about the research that's out there. Um, the second one is learn about microaggressions. Learn how to spot them. Learn how to confront them. Example, a, a big example. Um, jokes at women's expense are not funny. And I can't tell you how many jokes I've heard from the pulpit about women. Um, mm. And we need to confront those, whether we're in leadership or not. If you're sitting in the pews and you hear that, you need to talk to your pastor afterward and say, hey, that's not that's not funny. Don't make the women confront that. I mean, we will and we should, but don't make us if you're a male ally. You know, jokes, comments about women spending money, taking longer to get ready, changing our minds, not really meaning what we say, being too emotional, you know, all of that, how, you know, women manipulating their husbands. I, I've heard all of those things, all of those stereotypes um, from the pulpit, but in other places too, you know, at the church barbecue, whatever. 
So what are you telling people when you tolerate that? Um, well, that men are the standard. Men tell the truth. Men are the standard in finances and rational thinking, yada, yada, yada. And women have to resort to other things um, while men think coolly. And it's damaging. <laughs> it's damaging and it's not funny. You know, if you substituted any race or ethnic population into that and said, oh, they are so emotional or they are so terrible at handling money, you can see that would not be funny. <laughs> but we do it to women. Um, so if you want to be an ally, confront things like that. That's called a microaggression. You know, the small things that just chip away at us and, and discourage us and knock us down. Um, be willing to tell your speakers, your pastor, your elder board, your friends in the church. That's not funny. That's not healthy. Get therapy, you know, <laughs> that sort of thing. Um, Replace it with encouragement. What yes. can you say that actually encourages women? What can you tell that actually lifts them up? What can you highlight from their character that is admirable? What can you, we would do that with anyone else, right? Yes. Um, yeah, well said. Appreciate your and perspective on that. To be fair, I mean, let's not make jokes about men either. <laughs> right. so, let's not lump any group of people into a stereotype. Let's just not do that. That's that's not treating the image of God as as we should. Amen. Another important one is to check your church resources. Go to your church library, go to see what books are being used, resources are being used in your counseling. Um, are they harmful to women? Because a lot of FMC churches, maybe I don't even know what the statistics, but they teach out of the popular evangelical books about marriage, about you know premarital counseling and everything that are harmful to women in in many ways they call for submissive wives they call for women to submit to all kinds of things in marriage that are just not appropriate and not healthy and yet we use them in our counseling because they're popular and we figure okay cool everybody likes this book it must be good well no you know so so we need to look at our materials closely and um our curriculum, our resource, we need to look at it and say, hey, how much of this is written by women? We need to have women writers in regular rotation in our books and our studies and whatever, um, and not relegate them to, okay, let's read this prayer journal by you know, a woman. No, come on, let's read some theology by a woman. Um, and when we're looking at our premarital resources, they've, they've got to be egalitarian resources. They just need to be. So we need to ask our pastors and our counselors about that. What are you using? What's in our libraries? Is it holding up free Methodist doctrine again? Is it the free Methodist way? Or are they the popular complementary and evangelical books? Mm. Yeah, are we, are we guys out there um, also holding to the standard that requires a mutual submission between the genders it's not just a single-sided submission that so often is preached um, and to the harm and detriment of our women. Are we, are we holding ourselves to the standard of mutual submission in the body of Christ that the scriptures clearly teach? 
Yeah, which leads right into the last homework assignment, uh, which you've kind of already alluded to and so important. Submit to women teachers. Educate yourself by reading women authors. Educate yourself by talking to women that you're going to listen to, you're going to hear, you're going to become friends with, you're going to not contradict. Um, because we can say we want to be allies or we can say we are allies and we can still mess up. Um, because humans mess up. <laughs> it's it's the human condition until eternity we mess up. Um, entire sanctification notwithstanding. <laughs> um, for instance, like like I wanted to be, you know, a racial ally for years, but I was probably a terrible one for a long time until I started reading black authors, Latina authors, you know, until I started listening to them, until I heard them, until I became their friend. And I submitted to their experience without inserting mine. Um, I learned to apologize. I learned to say, oh gosh, I guess they know the way out of this mess better than I do because they are <laughs> the ones being affected by the mess. Um, and I'm still making a lot of mistakes and mistakes are okay. Don't worry about mistakes. You know, they happen, but we need to submit ourselves to learning from women. Um, it's not the mistakes that are the problem. It's it's the ignorance that's born mm. of not wanting to know and not wanting to learn and not wanting to deal. It's it's honestly it's it's men who sit in their own experience every moment of every day when they live in a world that is centered on their experience. <laughs> but they look around and they don't see any problem with the status quo because they've never known life outside of that center. So Men, if you want to be allies, you need to get out of the center. You need to get out on the margins. You need to listen to people on the margins. You need to put yourself under the teaching of the people on the margins, the women. And that is hard to do because it means you don't talk back. It means you don't say, well, not all men do this. It means you don't say, well, I've never experienced that. It means you don't say, well, I just think it means you shut up and you let it sink in <laughs> and that is very hard to do when you're used to being the center you you have to disarm the defensiveness and then you put those people in the center you put the women in the center you center people on the margins in your church and in your leadership and in in the church world that is women um, but until we're ready to take ourselves out of the center and submit to being friends and learning from women, um, it's, it's not going to happen because like you said, you don't know the experience unless you've heard it. You, you can't live it. You're, you're a man. <laughs> There's no way you will ever live that. But there are lots of ways you can hear it and, and learn from it. Amen. Thank you, Jill. Um, this has been a great conversation today. I can't thank you enough for taking time to educate us, to help us, to point out what would help men be really good, solid advocates for women in leadership. All of your points are well taken. Friends, I, I pray as you're listening to this podcast today that you've had a chance to hear Jill, not just, uh, and it may have messed with your biases a little bit, but that's okay. We need that. We want that. And it's time that we actually deal with them. Find, find a woman leader and listen to her experiences. Elevate women leaders in your congregation. 
elevate them through mentoring. Um, refrain from the, the coarse joking that scriptures even encourage us to refrain from. Um, all of these steps are powerful steps, but most of all, let's have our value of love-driven justice reign over this area. Because yeah. I love the love-driven part of our justice statement, because if you truly love as a sister in Christ, a woman who's a leader in the church or has leadership potential, all of a sudden, I mean, don't you defend people you love? Don't you act on behalf of their good when you love someone? And yet it's our, we're usually bias informed instead of love informed. And I think if we can be more informed by the love driven piece of our justice, we will see our relationship to women in leadership in the church transformed, elevated, put in its rightful place. And that is who we are as free Methodists. So Jill, I can't thank you enough. Thank you so much for being a part of this talk today of having this conversation with us and the wisdom you've brought to this topic. Thank you very much. It's been fun. Like I said, it would be. Yeah. <laughs> so friends in the show notes, you will find the website address for advocates for women in leadership. Please take a moment to peruse their website, but more than looking at a website, get to know a woman leader, hear her story, advocate for her, and find out the blessing that God has in store as women are elevated in the church. This is Brett Heinzman on behalf of all of us at Light and Life Communications. I want to thank you for joining us today. God bless you in your journey of love-driven justice.